have sown. Lost and afraid we wander far over land and phone, searching for hope and a loving heart. Jesus will bring us home. Squandering all life's treasures, pleasure our only guest. Dangerously close to ruin, failing to know we're blessed. Lonely, unsure, we stumble far from the master's throne. Hush, now he's here. And he wants us near. Jesus will bring us home. Prideful in all our chaos, by Satan's lies, shining yet always empty. Lord, do you hear our cries? Humble and meek, we ask thee, you for our sins atone. Please take us in and away from sin. Jesus will bring us a moment fleeting, longing for heaven's breast, having it all, yet nothing, self over others stressed. Jesus through side while I roamed. He gave me comfort and cared for me. Jesus will bring us home.
about the great commandment Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself it's hard to understand how we could love God with all our heart soul mind and strength without focusing on the Word of God without reading the Word of God studying the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God the psalmist said thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my journey. And so we proclaim the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Welcome to this broadcast. My name is Hal Brady, and I'm delighted you've joined me for this evening. It is my prayer that both the word and the music will be a blessing. So as you hear now, please, the reading of God's word. Today we are reading from Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They're like trees planted by streams of water, which yields their fruit in its season. And their leaves do not wither, in all that they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Join me please for a moment of prayer. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In my opinion, the late Frank Sinatra was a marvelous, fabulous singer. One of his best songs was entitled, I Did It My Way. I want you to listen to some of the words. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Of course, there are many other words to this song, but they always end with these words, I did it my way, did it my way. Now, many people have adopted the sentiment of this song, I did it my way, as their life's theme. And yet the psalmist warns us in that last word, perish, when he says, our way, separates us from God. The psalmist vehemently disagrees with the idea of doing it my way and urges us to do it God's way. For it's only by doing it God's way that we can understand the meaning of life and we can understand the joy of life. Now before we move along with the specifics of this text, I want to say a few words generally about Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is not only the first psalm. Psalm 1 is the introduction to the Psalter. 
it points out and defines two ways of life. And his teaching is a foundation to the whole book. Psalm 1 is called a wisdom psalm. It has close affinity to the books of Ecclesiastes and the books of Proverbs. Now, wisdom literature aims at fostering virtue and manners that make for a peaceful, prosperous, and happy life. Thus, Psalm 1 offers us a vivid description of life's two ways, the way of the ungodly as opposed to the way of the godly, the way of non-faith as opposed to the way of faith, the way of self-rule as opposed to divine rule, the way of nothingness as opposed to the way of God, the way of destruction as opposed to the way of joy and happiness. With the familiar words, John Oxenham both reminds us and challenges us. Listen to his words. To every man there openeth a way and ways and a way, and the high soul climbs the highway, and the low soul gropes the low, and in between on the misty flats the rest drift to and fro. But to every man there openeth a highway and a low, and every man decideth the way his soul shall go. Now, according to the psalmist, these two ways are separated by one thing, and that is openness to God's instructions. I'm talking about the law of the Lord. So what is the law of the Lord? For the psalmist, the law was the Ten Commandments, plus the words and, and actions of God as expressed in the first five books of the Old Testament, which is known as the Pentateuch. For those of us who are Christian, the law refers to the whole of the Bible, as the revelation of God's ultimate will. I'm talking about the pre precepts. I'm talking about the instructions and the teachings of God as we see them demonstrated in the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit within us that regenerates the love of people for the law. Therefore, we delight in reading the law and pouring over it day by day and night by night. Now, as a preacher of the gospel, it is my opportunity and responsibility to preach the Bible. It is the business of the church to teach the Bible. And it's the happy duty of a believer to read the Bible. So what can we gain as we apply ourselves and be open to God's Word? First of all, happiness. What makes for happiness? Every person desires to be happy in his or her life. There was a politician, a well-known politician, that was on a plane and he was flying, and all of a sudden, he pulled out a $5 bill, and he said, I'm going to throw this $5 bill out the window and make somebody happy. One of his ardent admirers said, why don't you throw $5 bills, $1 bills, and make five people happy? And then one of his ardent enemies, crashing over in the corner, said, why don't you just jump out yourself and make everybody happy? But as I said, Everybody has this inner desire for happiness, some form of happiness. The problem is that we desire happiness and we connect ourselves up to the wrong wagons. Let me give an example. This is what we say to ourselves. If I had a million dollars, if I had a home overlooking the ocean, if I had all the money in the world, I would be very, very happy. So what that means is we acquire stuff. But over time, very slowly, this stuff begins to rot, to rust, to disintegrate, to depreciate. I remember 
reading about a minister who said when he first bought his new car, it was the first new car he ever had, he wanted it to be truly special. He swore he would clean it, he would take care of it. It would just be so special because he wanted to maintain the rush that he felt when he bought the car. But he said over time it became just another car. He said in the process, mud caked on the fenders and he said paper was strewn throughout the car. You see, these things that we buy, all of these things sooner or later will lose their luster and their value and consequently we'll have to pursue other things, quote, of value at the time. And then we connect up to another wagon. We decide to get on the health train. We believe if we just eat heartily and we eat carefully and we take care of our looks and our appearance, everything will work out and we will be happy. And so we tan and so we do all of these things in terms of beauty and exercise to make ourselves attractive. But you know, it happens to every one of us. The most beautiful people in the world, the most handsome people in the world, will sometime come to the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, I'm no longer the fairest of them all. It's wonderful to eat healthy and to get on the health train, but let's not make the mistake of thinking that that's going to make us happy. It won't. And then there is this desire to accomplish. So what do we do? We want to arrive at the top place, the top tier in life. We want the corner office. We want to be the captain. We want to be the CEO. We want to be the manager. We want to be the cheerleader, the star football player, and all of these things. And so we extend all kind of energy to get there. Sooner or later, we stop taking vacations. We stop resting. We keep working hard, and then we wear ourselves out physically and mentally, and we lose our relationships. And so when we finally reach the top, we look around and ask ourselves, was it really worthwhile getting to this place and sacrificing everything that I've sacrificed? So you see, sometimes we get on the wrong trains seeking our happiness. But the psalmist, we need to pay attention to the psalmist. The psalmist said, as he referred to the law of the Lord, those people who are open to the instructions of God, those people who live dependently on God, these are the happy people. The psalmist says he delights. He delights in the law of the Lord. And then we're told in this psalm before that, blessed is the man. Martin Buber translates this, oh happiness, happy is this man. And if we study this carefully, we'll find that happiness is first of all defined in the negative. Happiness is not wickedness. What is wickedness? Wickedness has to do with sinning and scoffing, these kind of things. In other words, wickedness does never subscribe to the hymn writer's suggestion that God is the ruler yet. Back in 1886, excuse me, I think it was 1866, Dwight L. Moody was holding a, an evangelistic crusade in Broxton, Massachusetts. The song leader was a man named David Towns, who was the song leader and head of the music department at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. One of the young men in the revival got up and gave his testimony. And he said, you know, I really don't know, but I am going to trust and I am going to obey. These words were magic to David Towns. He wrote them down on a note card. Then later he sent them to Reverend J.H. Samus, 
who enlarged on these words and finally came out with that beautiful hymn, Trust and Obey. If we really want to be happy, we need to commit this particular hymn to our minds and our hearts and our lives. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Hear me now, the godly find happiness. And then secondly, the godly find strength. He is like a tree. A tree suggests staunchness, stability, strength. The harsh winds blow, but the tree's roots are deep into the ground. And when the wind blows, it doesn't affect the roots because the tree is there, solid and secure. Now, the psalmist was not naive about the world. He knew the reality of the world. He understood the word that I saw on a sign not long ago in a store. Someone said, if today is addressed, I'd return it. The psalmist understood that. The psalmist understood that just being obedient to a group of instructions is not going to give him fame and popularity and all of these things. The psalmist knew that there was going to be some suffering in the world. He knew that. But the psalmist also knew that to be happy and strong is to have a good foundation. What is the psalmist's foundation? The law of the Lord, being open to God's instructions. That was his foundation. Being open to God's will, God's way, and God's purposes and God's power in every situation. There's nothing better in the world than having a good foundation. To have a good foundation means that we have joy when everybody else is in despair. To have a good foundation means that we see the mystery when everybody else is suffering the misery. You know, one of the greatest African-American preachers of our time is a man by the name of Zan Holmes. Zan Holmes is now retired, but he was a pastor of the St. Luke Community Church in Dallas, Texas, when I was there as minister of First Church. Zan Holmes said right after he first entered the seminary, he went to his home church, and he said his pastor... Dr. I.B. Loud wanted him to be a part of the service, and so he asked him to come sit up in the chancel. And so Zan thought, well, he probably wants me to have the prayer. No, that was not it. Later on, when time came for the sermon, Dr. I.B. Loud got up and he said he was so proud of Zan for being in the seminary. He was so proud of Zan for being in attendance at the worship service tonight that Zan would bring the sermon. Zan Holmes said, that was the most frightening moment of my entire life. I was not prepared to preach a sermon. He said, as I walked up toward the pulpit, I had no idea what I was going to say. But then he said, I remembered I was halfway working on a practice sermon to give to the seminary students. And he said, so I remembered that. Those words began to come together, and so I gave those words, and it only lasted a minute and a half. And then he said, still terrified, he began to cry. He didn't know anything else to do. At that point, two young girls who were sitting near the front of the sanctuary began to clap their hands. And the first thing you know, the congregation began to clap in rhythmic clapping. And then he said he heard this bass voice out of the choir. And this big old bass voice said, be with him, Jesus, be with him. Zan Holmes said at that moment, I became completely calm. I received the strength to preach the sermon. Does that sound familiar? Being open 
to God's instructions, living dependently on God. The Candler School of Theology at Emory University is named for Bishop Warren Candler. It is said that when he was on his deathbed, someone asked him, are you afraid to die? Are you afraid of crossing the river of death? I love what he said. Bishop Candler said, no, not at all. He said, you see, my father owns the land on both sides of the river. Do you see it again? Open to God's instructions and living dependent on God. Not long ago, I was busy in the hospital. I was visiting a man who had had cancer of the voice box. He had lost his voice. They had taken it out. He could never speak again. And as we conversed for a few minutes, me with words and him writing things down, I finally said to him, do you ever get discouraged? Yes, he said. I said, how do you handle it? And he wrote down, I'm not sure, but my faith undergirds me. And then just night before last, a friend called me on the telephone and said that her sister was deathly ill. She was in great pain. She thought maybe she was getting ready to leave this world. But in the process, she said to her, do you want me to read to you? The sister whispered, yes. So she began to read from the Bible. She read several stories. And then she said her sister became very, very calm. I'm happy to say her sister is still with us, but she grew calm in hearing the Word of God. Don't you see it there again, being open to God's instructions, living dependently on God, like a tree, the psalmist said, like a tree planted. You see, the godly find strength. And then thirdly, the godly find permanence. Permanence. What does the psalmist say as we continue reading this psalm? The psalmist says this, and his leaf does not wither, and his leaf does not wither. Permanence. Undoubtedly, one of the greatest preachers of the Southland was a man by the name of Clovis Chapel. Clovis Chapel gave us a marvelous illustration of what the psalmist meant by permanence. It's the story of the evergreen, and we never hear it enough. In the spring of the year, the trees put on their Easter dresses, and they have their beautiful blossoms. And at the same time, the evergreen looks dull and drab and lifeless. Then comes the fall of the year, and the trees put on their beautiful rainbow colors, red and yellow, orange and silver. They put on their pinafores. They're absolutely beautiful and magnificent in the colors. At the same time, the evergreen looks drab and dull and uninteresting. I know people just like that, people who think the godly life looks drab and dull and uninteresting. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They want to live it up. In terms of Walter Percy, they are part of the century of the self, the century of the self. But then wintertime comes, wintertime comes, and the frost bites heavily into these trees. It sucks the life out of them, and the trees begin to teeter and totter. First thing you know, the harsh winter winds begin to blow and these leaves are blown off to the ground to decay and oblivion. Then it is that the evergreen comes into its own. The evergreen looks beautiful at this point. The evergreen is always the same. Let me tell you something, beloved. In my 50 years of ministry, I've seen a lot of men and women who put all their hope in things like position and leadership 
and wealth and a dozen other things. But when the critical time came in their life, they became empty and void. Better, far better, is to have an unswerving faith in the Almighty. The psalmist said, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous is the way of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the promise is that he will take care of his own. So, for the sinner, this Psalm 1 is a call for repentance. For those who are in the church, this is a call for renewal. But for all of us, Psalm 1 is a call for happiness. In other words, the law of the Lord. Place your confidence in God. Be open to his instructions and live dependently on him. Let us pray. Oh God, we're so thankful for the first psalm. We're grateful, oh God, that it reminds us of life's two ways. And we're thankful that it gives us a, a clear choice, a choice to follow you and enjoy happiness and strength and permanence. Enable us, O oh God, to understand with new and fresh eyes and ears and minds. And then, O oh God, help us to respond faithfully to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you again for joining me tonight, and I trust you will continue to be with us on these Thursday nights. Thank you again, and have a great evening. Together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. And you said the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me. Your love never fails. Your love never fails.